There's the Christmas story in a nutshell. Welcome to you, especially this evening group, you stalwarts, you hardy souls who braved the blizzard-like conditions out there to, uh, to make it here for our 10 o'clock service. We're very pleased to meet you. I had an epic uh, Christmas Eve. I have never before had a snowball fight in my robe with five young people out there that were pelting me with uh, snowballs. It was awesome. I got a, one right in my earpiece uh, that I didn't know I was, I was going to be here tonight, able to hear. So it was terrific. What a way to celebrate Christmas Eve. We're glad to have you here, and I'll bet you learned some new things from that video, right? Bet you didn't know that Mary was pregnant for 11 years, which would explain her the 25-pound birth weight of, of Jesus, right? And the name of the innkeeper, how cool is that? His name was? Fred. Fred, yes. So there's so much you learn. Just stick with us. We'll, we'll teach you a lot. Last summer, my wife Cindy and I, we bought a, a, an old 67 split level house in downtown Harbor with a beautiful view and that requires a lot of work and has not been touched since the day it was built, I don't think, including the avocado green wall to wall carpet, which is very, very pretty. It might come back in, but we're, we're going to take a risk and tear it all out. Um, we are not yet moved in because we've been doing a lot of the work ourselves. And I went over this last week early before the sunrise, actually, because I wanted to check out some of the work that had been done. I walked up the stairs to the door, and I found that it was wide open. It wasn't just unlocked. It wasn't just a jar. It was wide open, and the furnace was running (laughs) like crazy. Uh, The entire neighborhood was about three degrees warmer than the rest of Gig Harbor, because I paid to heat that whole neighborhood that night. It was a little bit freaky walking into that house that doesn't have very good lighting and wonder who or what had made their way in there into my very open, very welcoming, very inviting home that morning. You know, uh, you don't have to be a very much of a church person to know that when Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem, they didn't exactly throw open the doors wide open to them, did they? You heard the reading earlier on from Pastor Larry. I want to remind you of one text that I'd like to focus on tonight. They've just arrived in Bethlehem, and we hear these words from Dr. Luke. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was... There was no place for them in the end. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for this gathering of faithful. Oh, come all ye faithful, and here they are. And we pray that you would meet us through your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Every Christmas Eve, we have folks that show up uh, who ordinarily might not call themselves uh, Christians or uh, even religious people, and yet they're here uh, in honor of perhaps of an of a annual family tradition, even though church is not their thing. And uh, if that describes you, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand up and explain yourself. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Uh, if that describes you, may I just say we're delighted to have you. But whenever you're here, whatever causes you to come, we're glad you are here. We, we think God is here ready to meet you. And our prayer is that you will encounter the Lord through what you experience tonight. So welcome to you. But if that describes you, uh, you may, uh, may not be that familiar with some of these stories. And if you hear them, it might uh, prompt a bunch of questions from you. What would cause a a young man to take his very pregnant betrothed 90 miles on a 90-mile road trip? Why did they go to Bethlehem? Why didn't he book a a room on Airbnb before they made that journey to to Bethlehem? All of these things are really good questions that deserve to be answered. Um, The registration that you hear Luke talking about in his story, and he mentions it four times, that was actually uh, for taxation purposes. This was the IRS of the time at work. Rome wanted to make sure that they had a, a good, uh, complete census of all of the taxpayers in the empire. And the way they pulled this off was to require that they return to the city of their ancestors. And so in Joseph's case, since his, his kin came from Bethlehem, they had to make this journey, 90-mile journey from Nazareth, Uh, with a very, very pregnant um, Mary. And when they arrived, because all of the rest of his long-lost relatives were there, it was like one huge family reunion. I wonder how you do with reunions. I grew up in a very small family. I have no aunts, no uncles, ergo, no cousins. You could have a tuned family reunion in a phone booth than have room left over. Any of you come from a family kind of small like that, so your reunions would be a little, little small? Okay, so you can relate. On the other hand, I married Cindy. Cindy comes from a Mormon family. Their family reunions were so large that we had to trade off the Nielsen side one year and the Henry side uh, the next year. And for a guy that came from a family my size, this was a shock to the system, these large, crazy, kind of overwhelming family gatherings um, after a couple of decades, I got used to it. I began to deal with it, okay. And really, I thought I had seen everything reunion-wise. And then in our 23rd year of marriage, we received an invitation from another branch of her Mormon family. It was the um, polygamist family reunion. How many can relate to that? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think so. Cindy's the only one that can raise their hands. Um, Listen, when Mary and Joseph showed up in Bethlehem, they showed up to a huge family reunion, and the place was packed out. You know the familiar passage because you quoted it back to me. There was no room in the inn, no place for them in the inn. Bethlehem at the time was a small little burg. It was likely that they didn't even have an inn per se, although maybe. Uh, the, The word can also be translated guest room or guest house. So whatever it is, when they arrived in Bethlehem for this registration, there was no room, there was no bed. They were all taken. For the last year and a half after Cindy sold our home of 28 years, we've been renting a 900 square foot one-bedroom flat from their friends that happens to sit on the second floor above a machine shop. And uh, 
I love it. We, we love it there. Um, our, it's a little unusual, the circumstances. For instance, when it gets cold like this, our landlord fires up. He has this one of these huge square heaters that hangs from the ceiling, gas-powered, you know, in his shop. He fires that thing up and heats up the shop, and then all of the, the warmth kind of radiates up to the second floor. It's very cozy. So we love it. It's been a lot of fun being that close to my best friend. Uh, and the, the, really the topper of it is I get the run of the shop. All the tools, all the equipment. He even has a, a grease pit. Guys, you would die for this shop. It even has that wonderful oily smell. I, just, I feel like Tim Allen on Toolman. <laughs> you know, it's just every time I'm in there, it's just wonderful. I love it. But there is one uh, tiny drawback to living in such a small flat. And that is we don't have a, a bedroom for our kids when they come home. In fact, this is uh, the place that Cooper sleeps, literally a closet, and he barely fits it. There, there's the size. You know, it's like Harry Potter's closet on steroids. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't even fit in there. So this is, this is where my son has to sleep when he's home. So imagine in our case, if we had a family reunion and a family needed to stay with us, where would be the only place that we could put them? In the shop, right down a mattress between the metal lathe and the arc welder, exactly. And it would smell oily and and it would be a little uncomfortable, but it would be warm and it would be safe. And why am I telling you all of this? Because um, this was the situation that Mary and Joseph found themselves in. The Middle Eastern culture is very hospitable. They would have never turned out this young couple and especially this pregnant young couple. Um, But the only space left in the place was a room where they kept their animals. Here's the part that might be a surprise to some of you, might even shock some of you. It is likely that those animals lived in the very same building as the family. The houses in that area, and you can still visit one today that gives you an example, they were built on top often of little caves. And so the ground floor was where the animals were kept, and then the Upstairs was where the, the people lived. Let me show you a picture of it. That's an example of it. So down there at the bottom, the animals, then you climb the ladder up, and that's where the whole family would be. And here's a picture that makes it even clearer. That's the drawing. Animals on the bottom, human beings on the top. This arrangement had some advantages. It kept the animals safe. It also kept the place warm, especially in the wintertime, because the animal, all that animal heat would radiate up through. They were kind of like their equivalent of that big box heater that's hanging from our shop down below. The heat would radiate up through the floor to the living area, very cozy. That wasn't the only thing that radiated up through the floor, however. What else radiated up through their floor? The odor, yes, that's a very uh, genteel way of putting it. The stink, the stank, it was stinky. Uh, All of that got through there, but apparently they got used to it because there were a lot of first century Jewish families that lived exactly this way. So whether it was a real inn or whether it was a guest room, the innkeeper, his name again, Fred, the innkeeper Fred, he was faced with a dilemma because every bed was filled. Then the best he could do was to put them on a straw-covered spot in the dirt on the ground floor between the cow and the donkey. And it was there in that warm, stinky basement that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in swaddling cloths so he would feel secure and warm. And they filled a feed trough with fresh hay. And there they laid the Savior of the world, Jesus. 
You know, Matthew, when he tells his Christmas story, gives us another name that Jesus was called by, Emmanuel. You remember what Emmanuel means? Right, there it is, God with us. Emmanuel means God with us. And um, one of the reasons that this evening celebration is so important to we who call ourselves Christians is that we take that name seriously. We take it literally. We really believe that in a moment in time, about 2,000 years ago, and in a particular place, a stable in Bethlehem, uh, that God, the God of the universe, left eternity and came in human form to be with us. Now, you may not believe that. I understand. That might sound like hogwash to you. But would you just play along with those of us who do believe it? Because if this is true, if what we believe is true, that the birth of Jesus, in the birth of Jesus, we literally see God who is leaving eternity to come and be with us. Think about what the circumstances of his birth communicate to us. First of all, it means that, the, that whatever modest corner of our life that you are willing to offer for, to Jesus, he will take it. We, we don't often think of God as being humble. That's not a word that we use to describe him. I mean, he is God after all. He's the creator of the universe, the sustainer of the universe. Somehow humble and God doesn't go in the same sentence. And yet, how can you describe a God who was willing to take on human form, a baby, no less, and make his entrance into human history in a dark, stinky stable belonging to an innkeeper who had nothing better to offer? And truth be told, he did have something better to offer, didn't he? I mean, he could have booted out the couple that was in the honeymoon suite in the Bethlehem Inn if he really had an inn. Or he and Mrs. Fred could have given up their bed and they took the the air mattress down in the stable and given their bedroom to this young pregnant girl and her fiancé. Fred wasn't willing to give them a room, but he was willing to make a little room. And astoundingly, that was enough. The innkeeper offered a barn, and God took him up on it. I actually think there's a very profound message here for those gathered tonight who don't necessarily consider themselves Christians. In part, that might be because you've heard that in order to follow Jesus, you have to give him your whole life. Uh, And and you're just not willing to do that yet. You don't know him well enough. You don't trust him enough. And honestly, like so many human beings, you actually like being in control of your life. Although really, honestly, you might admit that you don't do as good with that as you wish you did. But what we learn from the innkeeper is if you're willing to offer God even a small part of your life, You might be astounded to discover that he will take it and he will begin his relationship with you under very modest terms. If you knew that that was true, if you knew that you could offer a a small corner of yourself to the Lord as kind of a taste test to see if Jesus can be trusted, to see if, if life could be more than you presently experience it to be, would you be willing to give it a try? Maybe not yet surrendering the whole of your life to him. Maybe not yet ready to turn over the master suite to these guests, but how about a closet or a shop or a stable? And here you are tonight. This is a great start. 
And for those of you for whom this is kind of a new thing, here, let me offer you a couple of thoughts of how you could take one more corner, offer one more corner of your life. What about coming back one more time? We meet here with terrific regularity, as it turns out. Every weekend we hang around here on Saturday and Sunday, and we love our family reunions. And, and I know that some, you might be coming back in Christmas again or maybe Easter. The fact is, though, that when you come in those times, you only hear us talking about the same stuff. Every Christmas is going to be the birth of Jesus. Every Easter is going to be the resurrection of Jesus. We actually talk about the difference that that stuff makes in our life week by week. And you might be blessed by that. So I would, I would love to, you know, maybe one small corner would be just another hour, one more week, just to see what's going on. Here's another choice. In January, we're going to offer a class called Alpha. Uh, you will never find a better opportunity to ask your questions, to present your unvarnished doubts or suspicions to a group of people that will receive it warmly and graciously and non-judgmentally. Maybe a next step for you would be just to, to take us up on a free dinner on one of those nights and come and, and, and lay your doubts, lay your questions before a group of people who are going to offer you the warmest welcome. I mean, if you knew that a dinner could be the starting point of a deeper relationship with God, why wouldn't you want to take us up on that? One dinner, it won't kill you. It might actually give you life like you've never known it before. The innkeeper teaches us that God is willing to accept an invitation even to the most modest corner of your life. Here's the deal, though. Don't be surprised when he meets you in the dirtier, darker, stinkier parts of your life. Don't be surprised if he begins to transform them. That's what happened with the innkeeper. That modest cave that housed the innkeeper's animals and that became the the birthing place of the Savior, that cave is now sits at the bottom of one of the most sacred places in Christian history. The, the church called the Church of the Nativity, built in 565, still stands over the top of the grotto where it is believed that Jesus was born. It's, it was just a humble stable, a place to store animals, but because the innkeeper was willing to offer it to Jesus, God turned that into sacred space. He does that in our lives too. But it's amazing how reluctant we are to invite Jesus into the dirtier, stinkier parts of our life. We like to put up a show. We like to, to pretend. I was at the party the other night in our new neighborhood. We're trying to join in, and so we were at a party and one of the women there knew I was a pastor. And so right afterwards, she came right up to me and was standing there talking to me. And she said, I really want to be a better follower of Jesus, but I am, I'm, I'm, not a worthy, I'm not a very good person. There are so many things in my life that are not right, and, I, and I've got to get those right until I can really be a Christian. So she was the one that led off with it. So standing right there with all of the departing guests scurrying around around us, literally standing there with people walking on either side, I said, what you have just described to me is not Christianity. It is American religion. American religion says that you work hard and try to be good so that God then will love you. Christianity says that God already loves you even in your broken, dirty, stinky state, and that he sent his only son on a rescue mission to save you. That's a huge difference. 
And it's called grace. And I think it's the most wonderful word in the world. You don't earn God's grace. You don't deserve God's grace. But because our humble God loves you, he's willing to come to the dirtiest places you're willing to open up to him. And he transforms them and cleans them up. You may find that hard to believe. Like the the woman that I spoke to at the party, you, you may think that you really have got to pull it all together before you can pretend to be more religious. You may find it too good to be true because when you look inside of your life at the stall that you might be willing to open up, it is so dirty, so stinky that you don't want to, you want to risk it. You, you, you just can't believe God would be willing to step into that kind of a place. And I'm here to tell you, you could not be more wrong. The amazing grace of God as shown to us in Christ is that whatever the filth, whatever the brokenness, whatever the pain or the darkness in your life, God's grace is greater still. And he is just waiting for an invitation to come in, to love you, and to begin to clean house. Who wouldn't want that opportunity to welcome him in? Let us pray. This is an amazing grace, God, an amazing story of your humility, leaving glory, leaving heaven. Lord Jesus, leaving the eternal relationship that you had with your father and becoming a baby in the lowest and meagerest of circumstances. You declared that you were willing to stoop down to our level because you adore us and you wanted to save us. You wanted to redeem us. You wanted to take the dirty and broken and dark sections of our lives and make them clean and whole. Some of us already know that, Lord, and we receive that gift with great gratitude. Some here have never really believed it. And I pray that this night, I pray this night there will be some who will say, Lord, I invite you to come into this section of my life. Would you reveal yourself to me? I long to be more than I am. I long to know you in a way that I've never known you before. I pray that you will do that through Christ our Lord. Amen.